Hello, everybody out there, Chad Belding, another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. It's been a good week going into Thanksgiving 2018. Duck season's in full swing, upland bird season's in full swing. A lot of success here in this part of our country, northern Nevada, northern California, on mule deer, pronghorn, antelope, sheep, been seeing some good elk killed. And today I got one of my good buddies with me. You guys have heard him here on This Life Ain't For Everybody before, Mr. Jim Ray from Reno, Nevada. He's uh, been around with Chad Ward on some of the Traeger podcasts. Podcast. He is Mr. Traeger. He's become known to his friends now. And is it pretty? Is it funny to you how fast that nickname's kind of stuck, or is it is it out of envy because people see you just rocking this Traeger every night? Oh, for sure, it's out of envy. It's hilarious. Everywhere I go, people think I work for Traeger. I just, you know, I think we hooked up with a Traeger about a year or so ago, and just been nonstop. I mean, I love posting the food on there. Everything turns out good. It's it's hard not to fall in love with Traeger. Give me uh give me let's just go one at a time. What's the last thing you cooked on your Traeger? The last thing I cooked was actually Sunday night. I did some lamb chops. Give me an idea of how you prepare them. What is there a process to lamb chops? Are they easy? What what temperature do you take them off? Are they marinated? Is it dry rub? Is it something that tastes like chicken? Is it like pork? What give me an idea because you know I don't know if people out here in the podcast world really understand how awesome a lollipop lamb chop can be. Well I actually did the not the lollipops but actually the chops like the they look like little T bones. I like the I like the real thick ones. And I just put a little bit of the uh, coffee rub, Traeger coffee rub on there. Let that marinate just with that rub on there for about a half hour. Which it was coffee, just coffee by itself? Yeah, the coffee rub. And then uh, while my Traeger's uh, getting uh, heated up, I just turn it to smoke. When I got a good smoke going, I put those on there for about 40 minutes, take them off. Get it ripping hot, about, I think it'll get up about 425, 450. Sear both sides, reverse sear, and they just turn out perfect. And, and reverse sear on a lamb chop, are you internally checking this with a thermopin, or have you gotten to the point now to where you pretty much eyeball everything? Because even guys like Chad Ward and Matt Pittman, you know, they swear by thermopins and these oh, you know, thermometers. Are, are you using one? I, I use one for... Uh, Thicker cuts of meat, things like that. But for my chops and maybe, you know, steaks, I just do the old feel test, you know? Like you touch your palm and if it's rare, it feels like that. If you close it, feel it, that's well done. That's kind of how I do it. So you're talking like, if you're talking steak, if you're talking a T-bone or a ribeye, you want to take that off at probably somewhere 133 degrees. Let it keep cooking if you, you wrap it or not. Serve it at 135, 136, medium rare. Salmon, maybe right around that area, I always let my, Yeah, I always let my steaks rest for at least five minutes. So what about chops though? These lamb chops. Are Same you, deal. So when you fill them, you know that they're time to take off, but you yep. still have enough enough space in that temperature to let them cook on their own once you t- do take them off you bet i want to i want quite a bit of give in them um i like my lamb pretty rare so and luckily my family does too they do or you just make them eat what you want well they they probably didn't at first but they love it now so what is it is it considered medium rare that a lamb chop is going to be best is it kind of like wild game you don't want to cook lamb or sheep past a a certain temperature i think people that go anything past medium rare are missing out i mean you might as well just go get a 
McDonald's hamburger. So what are you, do you put a glaze on yours or is there some kind nope, of, a, I'll make a, sometimes if I have a little time, I'll, I'll do a little red wine reduction sauce to go with them. But other than that, they're great just with that rub on there. What, as far as lamb goes though, is it something that's a delicacy or is it became something to where it's kind of a, a are people replacing like the traditional meats, the porks, the chickens, the beef with lamb now? Or do you think it's a regional deal? Is it a national deal? Do you have any idea? Like, is, well, is it a revolution that's going on right now? We're lucky. We have quite a bit of local lamb growers or raisers around here. Um, so it's it's a pretty prop popular meat. I can't really speak for the rest of the country, but I mean, it's in all of our grocery stores. You can get the rack of lamb. You can get lamb chops. You can get you know, there's quite a good offering of lamb just at our local stores. Um, it's a little bit on the more expensive side as compared to maybe a, you know, beef or, or pork, of course. But, man, it's just, I love it. And I, I, it, it pairs really good with wine. Okay, so <laughs> that's where I was going next is that you start talking about becoming more of a, you know, a, a well-rounded cook chef a guy that's gonna host parties and dinners and you have this Traeger and you're taking a lot of pride in it but there's a lot to be said also with pairing now besides wines or beers or something when you cook a lamb chop and you cook it to medium rare and you got that coffee rub on there and it's moist medium it's you know it's just medium rare meat does it what does it pair good with is it a vegetable is it yeah. a starch so, is it are you are you cooking sides on your Traeger as well you bet so I uh I did Brussels sprouts with some bacon, and I put the, actually I used prime rib rub on that as a seasoning, and I just put those Brussels sprouts with raw bacon on there. Uh, as I took those off, getting that grill up to temperature, that's when I put my Brussels sprouts on and, and kind of let them come up uh, with the heat of the Traeger. And then uh, I'll do a side dish of polenta on the stove, pour that in a little uh, uh, pan and finish that up on the Traeger with some melted Parmesan on top. So it gets a little bit of that smoke flavor. Uh, but yeah, polenta. Is what is starch. polenta? What is polenta? It's like a cornmeal. It's pretty much like a fancy grits, I would say, but it's, uh, I, I put a lot of garlic and a little bit of rosemary in my polenta and little, uh, Parmesan cheese. And it's got like a cheesy grits type of deal. Um, what you you talk about different sides and different or different foods that you can prepare on the Traeger. Are, you you've become also known as somebody that can really throw down on a chipino and a seafood stew and stuff like that. Is that something that you've experimented on with the Traeger? Have you done anything from from mussels to oysters to anything that you could throw into a to a chipino and and give give a little bit of background on what is chipino? Is it Italian? Is it Spanish? Well, Are there different European forms of it? Chipino is more of a, a soup stew. And I haven't really done that on the Traeger. What I have done on the Traeger is um, paella. And that paella is a, it's a Spanish Basque area um, rice dish. Is the Rice is the base. Uh, in mine, there's, it's kind of a catch-all. It's like a kitchen sink type of rice dish. I've got chicken in there, chorizo, which is a Basque sausage. I put uh, mussels, clams, uh, chicken. Uh, traditionally, they use a lot of rabbit in it. Um, not something that's really available unless you're out shooting rabbits, but uh, I'll use a chicken like thighs and drumsticks in it, and it's a it's a kind of a one pan meal. Um, 
you can really feed quite a bit of people. The my size pan that fits on the Traeger feed about 15 people, so you can do a pretty good little party with a good size uh, polenta uh, paella. Oh, on the paella, so the paella is a rice base. Is there yep. a certain kind of risotto or rice yep. that you so need you, to use? Uh, there's the, the traditional rice from Spain is called bomba rice. Um, that's not really available in most supermarkets. You don't really see it. it's kind of a special order deal. If I'm doing a really uh, special one, I'll, I'll go out and get that rice. Otherwise, you can just use a, a, a borio rice that you can, you know, that you would use for you know, any type of Italian, it's like an Italian rice. Is it, is it a different color than regular traditional no. white rice? It's regular, or does it turn a different It's color? just a short grain rice. So it's a little more, uh, starchy. So is it, but on a paella, you don't see white rice. No. So what you do is you put in, um, the seasonings, traditional seasonings for, uh, paella is, uh, saffron is, it's a really expensive, a uh, small dosage seasoning you put in, it goes a long way and it turns the whole, because uh, you put in a bunch of stock, chicken stock or seafood stock is what I use. And once you put in that saffron, just a little pinch, it turns the whole dish a really bright yellow. Saffron? Mm-hmm. And is there flavoring to saffron? Yeah, it's kind of, it almost has kind of a uh, medicine-y flavor, I want to say, kind of like a it's it's a it's got its own flavor. Like a chloroseptic spray or no, like a like, <laughs> like a scope or I guess I would say it would be kind of like an iodine type of flavor, but it's really mild. It's not so offensive. What is it what would it be used for if it's got that kind of a taste? Why it's, would it be added in the first place? It's uh I think that's the closest thing I can get to. It's but it's without it's got its own taste. It just kind of has a you can tell saffron when you taste it. So the saffron which you're saying has maybe a medicine or an iodine type kind of taste to it. Mm-hmm. It's, just a, li- it's it. just a liquid? No, it's a little powder. It's, it's a powder. And that's what turns the rice yellow, mm-hmm. an orangish color? Yep. They used it for dyes and all that back in the... So what if you didn't use that? Would the paella taste the same with just a regular white rice base? Well, you could you could get away with a good smoked paprika, um, something like that. A lot of people put like smoked paprika or turmeric in it to give it a color. Um, but traditionally, you, it's just not the same without that saffron, in my opinion. What it spells saffron for me? It's S A F F R O N. And is it a, a Spanish deal too? Uh, it's from the Middle East, uh, from that Mediterranean area. And you, I mean, I'm not a scholar on this, so if I'm wrong, you know, you're probably going to want to correct me. But it's uh, it's a stamen, I believe, of a of a flower. So it's it's very hard to harvest, and it takes a lot of it to make any sort of portion. It goes for about. 100 to 120 dollars an ounce uh to buy it saffron costs 100 what is it a jewel yeah it's like uh, it's just hard to uh grow and harvest and it's it's a rare i don't know if rare is the right word but it's definitely a it's not like you're growing peppers or something like that it's it's it takes some a lot of work and labor to harvest it and grow it so it's like a like a diamond. Yeah, it's it is expensive. I mean, I'm sure there's a black market for it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get into this. I too. know, but it's legal, so so I'm I'm kind of enthralled by the whole the whole seafood deal on track. I've been doing a lot of salmon's and a lot of halibuts. I've been doing um, cast iron foils, different right. ways to hold the juices in. A lot of citrusy stuff. A lot of lemons and oranges and limes and a lot of different garlics. Um, I, I love the way that 
the Traeger allows me to be creative with the wild game, which I, I want to roll into, um, you know, kind of what you do. For the first thing that I see that's kind of non-traditional on a grill that I've seen you doing are oysters. Uh, um, you've been doing oysters on the half shell. No. Now, they're not raw, though, right? They're, yeah, they are raw. So I was on a hunting trip. We were out bird hunting up in northern Nevada, a little town called Unionville. And I have a, a good friend with the place up there. And we were I was doing a paella um up there and i have a, a huge pan i can do about 25 people and i do it over a oak fire and i built a special grill that i do that on and i was getting that grill ripping hot and getting it going and getting that that oak burnt down to some coals so i could cook my paella on it and my buddy comes out with this little pan with all these little reservoirs in it and he uh put oysters in there and all those oysters, the juices and the butter he used to cook in there on top of that pan drip down to another reservoir that collects all the butter and oyster juices. And you just sit there and eat that with bread and, and eat those oysters. And I'll tell you what. And so I was like, Where, what in the heck? Where'd you get this thing? This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And he was down in Louisiana and some a client of his gave it to him. And I'm like, well, where did he get it? And he's like, I have no idea. So the first thing I did when I got home, I got online and started Googling. And it's made from two guys down in Louisiana. I believe one guy's a vet and his, um, his brother. And they, uh, they make these things it's called the oysterbed.com. Check it out. Their the site, oysterbed. The oysterbed.com. And it is, it's amazing. I mean, I've never had oysters this good, especially on the Traeger. Well, once I, so I, I saw the potential of that on the open grill. I'm like, these are going to be unbelievable on the Traeger. I got that home. I, I ordered it the minute I got home. I think it took them a week to get it to me. The hardest part was finding raw shucked oysters in Nevada. We're not really known for our seafood. And uh, Did you have the special order? Maybe? Nope. Co the, luckily, we're getting kind of close to the holiday season. So Costco and uh, some of the local groceries carry them. And they just come in a little jar in the refrigerated section. And they're uh, shucked oysters, raw, and, you know, short, sh uh, short shelf life on them. And, uh, man, I put, did those up with some garlic, butter, coat them with a little uh, Parmesan cheese when they're about to be done. And you just eat them right out of that pan. It comes with a little uh, trivet. You can put them on a little wood deal. It, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool cooking item and you could use it camping you can use it on your traeger you can put it in the oven it's it's awesome cajuns i, I mean had to come up with something oh, yeah. that would collect butter and oh. sauces and that you could dip really strong breads in you know like I, it, we we uh we shot some quail that weekend and so there was a bunch of juices left over from the first round of oysters and we put some quail uh breast in there breast down and cooked them the same way and they turned out awesome on the oyster bread oh it fit the, those reservoirs they have for the oysters are about the same size as a quail breast and it just oh that's a cool it idea. turned out awesome they're amazing and if, so you got this oyster bed um put it on the traeger and they turn out just as good with the smoke on them are you oh, smoking yeah. them for a long while are you are no nope. hot you want to do it hot so i i got that um uh, have the traeger turned up full power i have the pro 34 so uh get as hot as it goes and just put those on there. And it takes about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes on there. And it, they're just, they're bubbling and browning. And do they get awesome. a crust? They on do. Them? Are you, you, you sear Not on the, 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 
the outside of them will get a little bit of browning on them, and they're just it's awesome. So do you put anything like a Worcestershire in there? Do you put a butter on top of it while they're cooking? Do you put just a melted butter, garlic on parmesan? top? Parmesan. So I'll add put, a little parmesan. I'll spray it. I'll spray the little dish, and uh, just so that nothing sticks. But it's it's it cleans up pretty well too. So um, spray that. Throw the oysters in. Put uh, that butter garlic solution, whatever you want to do it, whatever seasonings you want. Um, I put a little fin and feathers. I've done that. I've used the Line and Kugel uh, summer shandy rub that Traeger has as well, and just awesome. Squirt with a little lemon on them after they're done. If people want lemon, you know they maybe you know some people aren't. They like a little lemon on their oysters that take away some of that. I like them just the way they are with butter and garlic. Man, they're amazing. So they so by the time they come off, they're cooked to a certain temperature. Oysters, the, you know, the ones I like are when you hear oysters on the half shell, there's different regional oysters yep. you can get again from different parts of the oceans and seas. Um, those are raw. Those are just yep. a little bit of horseradish, a little bit of lemon squirted on there, maybe a little tiny bit of Worcestershire sauce, and maybe a tiny bit of cocktail sauce if you got to have a, a bunch of taste. But I like them like or what you're Tabasco, saying. Like Tabasco, Tabasco, something yep. like that. But so this is more of a cooked oyster in this bed. It comes oh, out yeah. at a at a high temperature. Um, you you set your Traeger to a high temperature, and it comes out at, at a probably a medium state or a medium well state on an oyster. Yeah, yeah. I guess if there is a medium well or whatever, but right? Because you don't want to need a, you don't want to cook an oyster yeah. half. Wrong. you don't want to murder it it'll it'll get chewy if you cook it too much too long but um we used to do it just um we'd go abalone diving up in the north coast california and we'd buy oysters in the shell and you just throw the whole shell on the barbecue and as they cook it'll just pop open the shell and that's how you know they're done so it just cooks in its own juices it's kind of the same principle so with you doing the quail on there, and, and have you transitioned any of your wild game? I know you're more of an upland hunter, big game right. hunter, even though you were one of the first guys to take me on a duck hunt. We, um, we'll talk about that later on. You you love chucker hunting, quail hunting, something behind a pointer dog. You have some really high-powered pointer dogs. Have you transitioned any of those birds or those partridges into a Traeger recipe at all? Oh, yeah. My favorite is uh, I'll wrap uh, – I'll get chucker, which is our – our big game bird here in Nevada, I guess you'd say it's kind of our... Our pheasant, yeah. Yeah, it's like South Dakota's pheasant is, is what our chucker is. Right. Um, I'll cut those into little one-inch cubes, wrap them in bacon, and put those on the Traeger, or just the whole, you know, half a breast, you know, breast them off the bone, and just wrap that in bacon. Very little seasoning. And uh, the reason I wrap them in bacon is just because a truck chucker's a pretty dry bird. It's not a real oily, fatty bird. So that it'll pick up some of that bacon grease and, and it'll be a little more moist, I guess. But yeah, that on the Traeger is unbelievable. That is my favorite by far. Super easy, super simple. To so do. what's the first thing you do? Tell me the very when you you kill the bird. What? How do you how do you process? So it? I how say do you so. It? A lot of guys don't. I go. I take the extra step. I I skin them out because I mean plucking them. There's not a lot of fat on these birds, so. Cooking them in the skin is it'd be a, it'd be too hard to do. I mean, some guys maybe do it, but I'll take the skin them out, uh, take the breast section, set that aside. I'll cut off the legs and I'll set those aside, and I'll save all my legs till the end of the season. And I'll do a, a crock pot or a Dutch oven with all the legs in there for like a football game or something like that, and just as an appetizer. So I don't like to waste the legs. I think those are 
a lot of guys will not take those, and I think they're missing out. Oh, 100%. Um, but the breasts, that's kind of what, it, what everybody likes. Um, white meat, uh, it's got a little bit of a sagey flavor to it. It doesn't taste, I mean, it, it's a lot like chicken, but it does have a, a really mild, gamey taste to it, very mild. Um, and I'll just take that off the bone, flay them off, get all the meat I can off that breastbone, and just use those fillets, and you can make, also, anything you can do with the chicken or white meat or I uh, do a marsala with it. I could do all that. But as far as barbecuing and, and putting it on a grill on my Traeger, wrapping it in bacon by far is my, my favorite deal. It just takes on that smokiness and, oh, man, there's just, it's hard to beat. So, you know, you hear that sometimes a lot of the probably the go-to recipe for duck hunters is the popper you know people don't get oh, yeah. real creative it's always the bacon with the cream cheese and the pepper i can't stand cream cheese so i substitute it for something else because i do like a popper if it's cooked right right um, a lot of guys put that bacon on there and they grill it until that bacon looks done meaning that that breast is of that duck is way too done right. so we've done things where we start the bacon you know maybe on a flat iron or something or on the traeger and get it started and then once you know once you put it around that duck meat it doesn't have to cook as long because a lot of guys like to eat the bacon with the duck meat i'm more of a guy that peels the bacon off and just likes a little bit of that bacon grease that soaks into that duck right. meat kind of guy um are you adding anything like with your with your partridge and your chucker birds or your quail? Do you add cheeses? Do cheeses pair well with a with a upland no, bird like I, that? I really don't. I just it's pretty much just a. I mean, I cook it a, a ton of different ways. Um, something you just can't do on the Traeger, which you know, very few things you can't do on it, in my opinion. But there is you know a marsala or something like that where I need to get you know bread them and kind of fry them up a little bit to get a nice crust on them and do some sauces in the pan. Um, I'll do that inside. But um, as far as something I'm going to do outside, appetizers or even a main course, if you, you know, get a few of them and you pair that with, uh, you know, Brussels sprouts or broccoli or wild rice. I, you know, I'm a big wild rice fan. Um, but yeah, they're, they, they're perfect just like that. I mean, it's a really flavorful white meat and it's, it, takes on a little bit of that bacon and smokiness and it just really works out well together. So in my experience, Jimmy, of cooking pheasants, very, very easy to dry out. Mm -hmm. Just like when you eat a dried out piece of chicken, it's not good. It's a lot easier to dry out a piece of pheasant on a grill or an oven or a steam cooker, pressure cooker, whatever it is, if you're not careful. Chucker's the same way. I you cannot bet. stand it. So when, you, when you're talking about cooking these birds as far as serving them at a certain temperature we you know obviously they're probably going to be served about the same temperature as chicken is do you do you have the same mindset on wild game with when you start cooking the red meat as you do the white meat because chucker birds you need to really tend to them you really need to tend to um a pheasant bird in my opinion you if you overcook it just a tiny bit i don't think you can get away with it right on a duck you can't get away with it on a deer steak, you can eat a deer steak at medium, but it's better at medium medium rare. You don't want it anything more than medium. It's definitely not medium well or well done. Do you, when you're cooking a deer steak or an antelope steak, because I know you do a lot of wild game cooking on on, on on a regular basis, are you 
a little bit more lenient on your red meat to where you're just using that fill process again? Or can you fill on those chuckers just like you can on red meat and the lamb that you were talked about before? Does that make sense? Like, you bet. Can you yeah. fill a piece of chicken and a chucker bird or a pheasant and know? Can you fill a deer steak and know that because it, it's like beef or is wild game different because there's not the enzymes, there's not the fat right. content. It's a little bit leaner meat when you talk about elk and mule deer and white-tailed deer and antelope. Can you still use that finger process on them or is it better to, to really know what temperature taking it off that grill at if you're just starting out and i mean i've done enough of them i know about how long it takes um if you're just starting out for sure you're going to want to use a thermo pan or something like that um and like yeah especially with you know like antelope deer elk i hate it when it's overcooked it's just you're you're ruining it i like a nice i like it rare to medium rare a lot of guys are you know but i like a nice i like it rare there's nothing better but yeah, definitely use a thermometer, whether it's the one that comes with the trigger, you can plug in on a bigger piece of meat, or if you're dealing with the little thinner cuts or something like that, the thermopins do a really good job. Um, but the reason I'm asking, the reason I'm asking is because you see a lot of guys that just put the meat on there and they go off of time. Right. And I think that if your meat's not exactly the exact thickness and the exact cut and the exact fat content, I think you're taking a chance. Oh, for sure. And I've seen so many guys pull off a really good venison steak, the backstrap or the tenderloin, and it's not medium rare. And you're like, dude, you just worked all year for that tag and waited all season and all summer to get this tag. I guess my point is, is that I don't think that you can open up a grill, a lid on a Traeger and look at a sheet of deer steaks across that grill and say, every single one of those are done because they've all been on the same exact amount of time. It's just like Chad Ward, when we were talking to him and, um, I was asking him about some different, you know, cuts and briskets and, and maybe the, uh, you know, pork shoulder, stuff like that. Like, Hey, what's your, he, you know what? I I don't go by time. I just, I let the meat tell me when it's done. And that's 100% true. you got to know what the temperature is. But you're is. not one of those guys that goes in there and cuts it open when it's on the grill, right? No, that's, that's all the juices come out. That's a out crime. Of. That's a yeah, crime, right? Yeah, I don't cut it open until after it's rested. Let it rest for at least 5, 10 minutes. It's got to rest. Okay, so you got your meats now. We've talked about lamb. We've talked about chucker. We've talked about pheasant. We've talked about seafood. Polentas. The polentas got me hungry. I got. I mean, I love your polenta. I haven't had it on the Traeger yet. That's a guaranteed game oh, yeah. changer. I got to try it. So maybe a pool party or something in the spring or the summer, maybe before. It's a wintertime dish because, you know, those carbohydrates, you try to shed those off there in the summertime. Are you doing anything besides meats, meats and vegetables on the Traeger? I've done some desserts, some uh, dump cakes, uh, some cobblers, things like that. Um, I was never a big dessert cook before the Traeger. You're I not really a baker. haven't. Yeah, not a baker. Um, but my, uh, I got my, my sister in law does. Uh, we were up uh, vacationing and we brought the uh, tailgater up, that little that little buddy Traeger, yeah. and she did a dessert on there, and it it took on just enough smoke. It was so good. It was like. I think we did a a berry a dump cake on it and it was just unbelievable and then we've done cobblers as well that turned out really well i have friends with kids i have kids i don't talk about you know Alyssa a lot but she loves vanilla ice cream she loves it without anything on it and she's very rarely liked anything on the top of it so what i started doing is i would take that cast iron the traeger cast iron skillet and i'd put it on the rack in the timberline 850 and i'd get it up to about 400 degrees and inside of the cast iron, I'll take apples and sl- put them all across the bottom. 
and then bananas all the way across the top of the apples. And then I take two Hershey bars and lay it on top of that and then caramel sauce and drizzle it atop the, across, the, or, or across the top of the Hershey bars. And I just keep the lid closed and let a little bit of smoke get on it. And then let that fruit condense down with the bananas melting and condensing into the apples with the chocolate condensing into that, followed by the caramel on top of that. Right at the very end, I'll get in there and I'll stir it as fast as I can and then close the lid for about five more minutes and then drizzle that on top of the kid's ice cream. I'm talking like, I'm telling, and then I, so I was with some adults and I did that at a hunting camp. And I said, I'm going to, there's this, you know, some really good Italian restaurants in town. And one of the best things I've ever had a bite of in my life was um, this really badass cheesecake with a chocolate lining crust with Mediterranean sea salt across it. And salts and sweeteners always go together. There's a reason why kids love dipping French fries in a Wendy's Frosty, I guess. We used to do it as kids. But I took a little bit of Mediterranean sea salt and added it into that same thing I just told you in that cast iron and put that on top of ice cream. Dude, oh. I'm telling you. So, like, this Traeger, like, you can... The Clay and his girlfriend, Nicole, they're doing mad peach cobblers on it based on what we've had with Chad Ward and some of the other Traeger pros. Have you done Have you done the macaroni and cheese? Yeah, oh, that, mac that, and cheese. Do you have yeah, your own yeah, version yeah, of it? Yeah, you bet. Um, I don't know if it's my own version. I kind of watched... We had that cook with Chad we, uh, party and kind of watching what he was doing. And I was like, God, you know what? This needs some savory to it. So I smoked some jalapenos and... Um, Chop those up, rough chop those. And I put that uh, in with my mac and cheese. And it just took it to a, another level, in my opinion. Gave it a little little savoriness, a little heat. And it, it turned out really good. Um, I love this. You can smoke jalapenos on there and put those on anything. It tastes good. Well, have you used the hel- the have you used the popper trays, the jalapeno trays? You bet. Amazing. I've actually made poppers. Yeah, the poppers are incredible on it. Amazing. But but just one the of my buddies, I, I get about a call a week. Some buddies because I've, I've kind of a posting maybe too much on Facebook and Instagram on what I'm cooking, and I just had a call from Chris Burke, an old buddy of ours, uh, yesterday. From Granite? Yep. He, uh, well, was, he texted me. No, he's in town. And he's like, hey, I'm down at Home Depot. They've got this sale on Traeger. Which one should I get? He goes, you know, so it's, I'm starting to like get these calls from folks. Yeah, uh, you're an yeah, influencer. The, uh, another buddy of mine, our kids play baseball together. And he, he's, you know, if there was a party we'd have and, hey, bring it over an appetizer, he always brought over poppers. Well, now that's, he does those on the Traeger because he went and got a Traeger. It, he, I mean, I don't know what he does to his poppers, but they uh, they turn out better than mine every single time. He's oh, just, I love him. All he's there. a master. Is he using cream cheese though? He used a little bit, but he doesn't overkill it. And then he makes a nice raspberry chipotle uh, dipping sauce for him. And what, it, what meats he using on? Was it always bacon? Bacon. Yeah. Have you had it? Have you ever had a bacon wrapped jalapeno with like a cheddar jack, like a you know like a Monterey Jack or a, a pepper jack cheese instead of cream cheese, and then. Elk sausage, duck Ooh. sausage in a, like a really not huge fat content, but maybe like a 60, 40 mix, you know, of a, of a homemade processed sausage. And you wrap that in there and all of those juices start coming oh, here. So man. now you have a bacon wrap sausage bite. I might stop by the store on the way home. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it's killer. So real quick though, take your time. Take me through the process 
of this Traeger macaroni and cheese. I want it yeah. in layman's terms. I don't want it the speedball route that you know that you can grab all the ingredients and go to go to work on this deal. This is something that's very important on the what kind of noodles, how much liquid, why that much liquid, and where do you put the cheeses? Where do you put the peppers? Do you put bacon bits on the top? Do you lay bacon all across? Right. Tell me in layman's terms so, yeah. in a slow way. And then uh, if I forget something, let me know because I'm a... When I cook, I never major. I'm always, uh, I remember what it is and I maybe add a couple more things and wish I would have remembered what I did last time, but I'll try to take you through my mac and cheese. Um, and it was, like I said, I'm a, I got to give Chad Ward his props because the base of it's pretty much what he, he showed us, right? Um, I'll get one of those uh, aluminum tins, get some Velveeta, about quarter inch thick slices and layer that bottom of that tin, right? Then I'll uh, pour in the, the raw macaroni noodles. And, and when you said, tell me what type of noodles, my wife went and got the, the stuff I told her to, and she didn't know that they make big ones and small ones. I, I can't stand the little ones. So I freaked out and had to go back to the store and got to use the big mac and cheese noodles, in my opinion. Like, but to steal the elbow yeah, macaroni? Yeah, regular macaroni, but you got to use the large ones. Large macaroni. Yeah. Then I'll put that maybe about inch and a half deep in that pan. Um, and I use a pretty big tin because you, know, you don't want to run out of room because that'll bubble over and you got a mess to clean up. Um, then I'll put in the uh, milk, pour milk just where it's about maybe a half an inch covers that mac and cheese, at least about a half an inch. Then I'll put in, I like uh, white cheddar. Um, not always available at the store. Um, so I'll go half and half white cheddar and then a sharp, uh, you know, yellow cheddar, put that on there, cover it pretty good. Like, you know, good inch and a half of that on there on top. Um, then I'll, I'll have pre-cooked some bacon up on the Traeger. So I get a good smoky bacon and I'll cook it at about three quarters of the way done. You know, so it's not crispy, but maybe just a little bit of chew left on it. Dice that up, put that on the top. And then uh, with the jalapenos, I'll kind of save those to the end because I don't want them to get too mushy. So that if they're in there, that liquid too long, they'll kind of lose some yeah, of that the steam the crunch that to them. I like a little bit of crunch to them. Um, so I'll put that on there, uh, 350, uh, probably about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. But I'll watch it. And when it starts bubbling, I'll stir it just to make sure it all gets stirred up pretty good i just don't i don't know i'm a stirrer i guess I, I just don't trust it to just cook on its own um then when it's all stirring and it's pretty even and you get that uh you know when you're putting a spoon in it and you get a little bit of that pull with the cheese when you take it out that's when i'll put my jalapenos on top and then uh, i'll just let it go and then just when that liquid is almost all the way gone but it's still a little bit of liquid in there that's when i take it off and just let it rest and it'll just it'll form up on you. So when it forms up, do you, are you getting a crust on the top of it? Like any, are you getting a browning? Some of the ones I've no, eaten. Mine, uh, I, I don't, I don't take it that far. I like a little bit of liquid and then let it form up. I found that a couple times I, I let it go too long trying to get that brown. And then my mac and cheese, my, my the actual noodles, they got a little mushy. Too mushy. Yeah. And on, right before the bacon goes on, are you putting, that's right below the bacon is a, another level of this white cheddar cheese. Yep. 
Are you using any Velveeta in this at all? The, the Velveeta's you, on the bottom. That's the what we started The on the with. bottom. Quarter inch thick slices cover the whole pan on the bottom. So this thing is like a mad, oh, yeah, it's good mad for it. man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like the heart, heart explosion. Oh, yeah. It's, you don't want to eat it every night, but <laughs> it's good. Three nights a week. Three, <laughs> two or three nights a week, probably. All right. <laughs> a year, maybe. Yeah. But you, you have... You literally just laid out an entire regimen of food from wild game to domestic raised animals to vegetables to side dishes with starches to paellas with rice and seafood and then desserts with cobblers and pies and ice cream topper sauces and stuff like that. I mean, that's what I love about it is just the, the, the variety of stuff that you have the ability to think outside the box, first of all, and then the confidence to pull it off is a, just a, a regular Joe in your backyard. It is. And it's, and people are, you, you get the, the hardcore guys that, They've got to have a smoker. They put wood in and they watch it. And yeah, that's great if you have that kind of time. And it, yeah, that's wonderful. Good on you. Uh, that's a lot of work. When I can get the same product, in my opinion, with a pork shoulder or brisket on the trigger. So pretty much anything you can do on those box smokers or things like that you can do. Anything you can do in your oven that you want a little smoke on, you can do. Um, people always have this perception that this trigger is just going to overwhelmingly add w way too much smoke to whatever they're, it's the hotter you cook it, the faster you cook it, there's not as much smoke. They don't get, you know, how the whole deal works until they've had it. And then once they've, they've had it, they're sold. I mean, they'll go buy one within a week or two. I swear well, to there's God. a reason why everybody's getting them. Oh, it's nuts. The I mean, taste is the, the taste and quality of food that comes off it is phenomenal. Have you done a brisket on a trailer? Oh, I've done many briskets. They're unbelievable. That one we did over here with that, that Wagyu beef yeah. that you got. Probably my Snake River Farms. Oh, my God. It was... You, you that was probably my favorite brisket we've had on the Traeger. Um, I don't think you can find a better piece of meat. Oh, man. It was unreal. But, you know, Costco, I'll go down there and, you know, sometimes it's Friday night and you're like, let's do a brisket tomorrow. I don't have time to order one or, you know, do that. And I'll go down to Costco and, and do a pretty good deal on a brisket and grab one of those and... People think it's expensive, I and mean, it's 50 bucks, but you can serve 15 people on the thing. I mean, it's unbelievable. Try to do that with steaks. You can go broke. You yeah, know? you can go broke in a heartbeat. Yeah. And, and Costco has quality meats. We get a yeah. lot of our meats from Snake River Farms. Their, their pork butts, their ribs, their steaks, their, their briskets, absolutely insane. Butcher Box, we work with as well, and their steaks and their chickens and pork and bacons and everything. You know, it's all grass-fed beef. And, and the, you know, they say that a Snake River cow is on feed for like almost 600 days as opposed to 120 and when you lay that piece of brisket over your finger and get that bend in it what chad ward calls this competition you know you're going to bring home a check piece you know bend of brisket there's just there the wagyu that the fat content in there the marbleization it's literally the i don't know if you can make a steak taste better than that that snake river brisket not on a the, chance on a tray it's I don't think that's my favorite i mean that's brisket special i mean there's it everything that is worth it takes a lot of time there's a reason it takes so long to cook a brisket but it's worth it man and it's and the amount of time you have to drink some beers with your buddies while you're cooking it i mean come on so you look at stuff like a cow and a pig and a chicken and those are like the quote-unquote traditional then you got some lamb that we've talked about that's somewhat traditional in different regions and different parts we're accustomed to it probably because of our upbringing and being around a lot of lamb and basque settlement around this part of the state in this part of the country 
Then you have all of the other dishes that we talked about from the paellas and the seafoods, the vegetables and the desserts and the starches and the rices and the, the, the pastas, the macaroni and cheeses. There is a non-traditional sense to a cow and to a chicken and to a pig that you also have taken on in your life. And I want to talk a little bit about that and, and, and how you got your influence and inspiration to do it. Like, why would you ever eat the tongue of a cow? And, and, you know, when I say non-traditional beef, you don't go into a restaurant and say, you always say, I want a ribeye or I want, I want a flat iron or I want a New York or I want a filet. You don't hear a lot of people say, I want the tongue of a cow. Right. Right. So that's a non-traditional cut of meat that not a lot of people, especially the millennials or somebody, right. and I'm not trying to pass judgment. I'm just saying like, I love beef tongue. And would you consider, is that a non-traditional part of the cow you think? It is now. When I was a little kid, my grandma used to make tongue sandwiches. It was a cheap part of the meat, a throwaway Is that piece. a lingua? Yeah, but we were, uh, uh, it's, it, in the Hispanic community, it's a big deal. I and mean, they eat a lot of it. And a lot of these, in, you know, the Irish with the uh, corned beef and things like that, these were cuts of meat that weren't desired back, you know, way back when. So the people without the means would, would get these throwaway pieces of meat, like the sweetbreads, tongue, brain, tripe, and they would do something with it and it turned out, hey, it's pretty good. And when I was little, my grandma would make tongue sandwiches. I mean, she cooked some tongue up. It was an inexpensive cut of meat. Now it's hard to find and it's not exactly the cheapest cut, but uh, if you can find it, you have to kind of order it from the butcher. They don't really have it. At, you very, very rarely see it at the grocery store sweetbreads or tongue or anything. Well, I don't go there yet. Yeah. Don't go there yet. But so y you can in certain meat markets, delicate, delicatessens, um, European markets, um, find really good t cuts of tongue. Is tongue something that you can just throw onto a grill? Is it something that you have to pressure cook? Is it, did, can you strip it and, and get thinner pieces of well, it? Cause a beef tongue, when it comes yeah. out of a cow, it's big. Yeah. And, you know, there's that sense in the, in the world of like, well, is it bad to hunt and kill your food? Right. Right. If you're a hunter and you kill your food, you know, there's a problem with that, but it's okay to go buy it. Right. Is it okay to kill a cow and eat its tongue? Like, you know where I'm going with that? It's yeah. like, what's the difference between that and, and eating a deer steak? Like a tongue, you're pulling this thing out of a cow's mouth and finding a way. And this is because back in the old country, they found a use for every single yep. piece of that, just like the Eskimos do with a well, the blubber, the shell of it. I mean, they yeah. use the entire carcass for different reasons yeah. and, and means of living, right? What What is the issue when, when you say, I eat cow tongue, and somebody that loves to eat steak, they'll look at you like, what? Are you crazy, dude? Uh, you've got to sneak it in on those folks. I mean, you sneak in tongue, and, and they'll be like, oh, my, this is the most tender roast beef I've ever had in my life. What is this? Yeah, ever. Yeah, it's tongue, bud. It's... And it tastes unbelievable. Yeah, I it's, love it. Is it now? You mentioned another non-traditional cut of meat from a beef from a cow, and you said the word sweetbreads. But mm -hmm. in layman's terms, what is a sweetbread? Where does it come from, and why would it be called a sweetbread? And if you have any idea, because I don't. Like right. I hear the word a lot. I eat them like they're going out of style when I know that uh, you know my cholesterol is not going to go through the roof. But what is a sweetbread? So it's a thymus gland of a cow, and it's a pretty rich fatty piece of organ is what it is. And uh, I don't know I don't know why they call it sweetbread, to be honest with you. Um, but you could cook them a number of different ways. It's big in French cooking, uh, but 
definitely uh, most Basque restaurants around here have them. Um, that's kind of where I was introduced to a sweetbread, and it 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 just, it kind of takes on. It's a real mild flavor, but it kind of takes on the flavor of whatever you're cooking it with, and it's a it's kind of a rich piece of meat. Um, they're like again another thing that probably most people discarded when they butcher a cow or something like that and a couple guys well, in the back started taking you're, home. you're taking a gland out of the cow's throat and people are like you're disgusting spanish people the latino community many mexican restaurants around this part of the country serve what they call tripe tripe you know right. this that's the internal stomach lining of a cow's menudo. stomach right yeah. what? what's yeah. that menudo in the menudo soup, in yeah, the yeah. soup. The, the menudo is the spanish soup that has tripe or tripe in it people look at you like you're freaking crazy and i'm like dude let me tell you this just try a sweet bread and really go into what like a, a place like we frequent a lot, Louis or the Santa Fe. Louis sweet breads are probably one of the best dishes of of, of fare in this part right, of the country, right. in any part of the country. What? How do they prepare it? What is it? What is it accompanied it with? And is it well done? Is it what? What do you do with the sweet bread? How, is it is it chewy? The texture of it? No, it's um, done right. No, it should be really tender. Um, you boil them first. Um, just real quick because it's a it comes in like a, a big blob of organ and when you boil it kind of separates a little bit and you want to peel there's some membranes on there you want to peel off because if you, if you don't do that then yeah you got some chewy parts to it so you will get all that uh, sinew off of there and separate them into little they kind of fall apart into little chunks and then you take those and you flour them uh, get a pan hot uh, with olive oil, um, sear them in there with some peppers, onions, garlic, and that's all you need to do. A little salt and pepper and maybe a little white wine if you want to make it kind of a saucier blend. Um, but So all, after the membrane's pulled off and you boil them, or you boil them and then you pull the membrane off mm -hmm. and it softens up, are you rolling them in egg and batter before no, you put them in? No, just dry flour, just dusting them flour. Just dust and flour. Yep. Is there seasoning in the flour? Just the salt you can and pepper see, after? You can season the flour if you want. I just usually just dust them and then just season them, uh, you know, while I'm cooking them. A little salt and pepper on top of them and do it that way. Maybe a little bit of paprika. It seems to me, though, like they get almost a reverse sear feeling and texture to them on the outside. Like a real, not yeah. a real thick crust or black, right. but like a brownish, yep. uh, you know, kind of a pizza crust look on them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you can. If you it just, Some guys like them like that. Um, I've had them where there's no sear at all. They cook them in like a tomato sauce um, after they've cleaned them up and taken the membranes off. And the I know JT down in Gardnerville, Nevada, uh, that's kind of how they do theirs. There's not, they're not seared at More all. of a red gravy kind of a sauce. Yeah, exactly. More real of an thin. Italian feel. No, it's a real color. thin gravy. It's like just like a a real thin sauce. Is it brown or red? It's Is it red. a tomato-based? Yeah, it's a tomato-based real, but they'll do it with little peppers and just a real thin red sauce with them, and they're they're really good too. I mean, So with this piece of meat, the sweet bread, you have onions, garlic, and peppers, bell peppers, green, mm -hmm. and you just are searing them inside. Do you start your vegetables first and the meat doesn't take as long? Or do, is this something that you have to keep on the heat for a while, these sweet breads? You can do it a couple different ways. I like to get sear mine first, take them out, get then get my vegetables kind of soft. Then I'll throw the sweet breads back in to finish. And then I like to put, some guys will just stop right there. I like to take a little bit of uh, white wine, pour it in there, and it'll kind of mix with that flour that you've coated those sweetbreads with, and it'll almost make like a glaze 
as it oh, cooks yeah. down. And that's uh, and I'll finish it on a. Uh, I've done all that on the Traeger before, and it turned out pretty well. You've done sweetbreads on the Traeger. Yep. Yep. Oh, you did them here yeah, on I did the cold smoke. Yep. But you cold smoked them, right? I cold smoked them before I fried them up. So after I took them out and cleaned them from the the pot, I put them in a little dish and cold smoked them in the Traeger, just to get them a little bit of a smoky flavor. And then I cooked them just like we were saying. We're we're eating the tongue and the the thymus gland mm -hmm. and the stomach lining like it's resourcefulness right like you're these guys found a way they were depending on their proteins of the animals that they were raising to slaughter and eat or going out and hunting and oh, yeah. they would find something to harvest and then they would use every part of it and now it's like you 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 go to Italy and you order a pasta that has rabbit in it. If you did that over here, like you will very rarely find rabbit on a menu. Maybe a high end French restaurant or an Italian restaurant once in a while. I love to eat rabbit. A cold November cottontail in the snow mm -hmm. and get it on a spit or on a Traeger with a rotisserie spit on it to where you can turn it. Um, uh, again, you don't want to overcook it because it can dry out very fast. But where I'm going with that, Jimmy, is like. Why is there such a weird look on people's face or a weird misconception or an assumption that a steak can be good, but a sweet bread can't and a tongue can't? Wait, where, where, where does that ideology come from? Is it the way we're raised? I just think that it's the, yeah, it is. I mean, how many old guys do you go deer hunting or antelope hunting and they're like, save the heart and the liver? A lot of our guys' age don't do that. That's a right? good point. Right? It's an old guy thing that they kind of grew up with it, and they ate what, everything they could out of that animal. Um, people do look at you weird, but, you know, I, I look at some of those people down in South America and those places when they fry up grasshoppers. I'm not doing that. But to them, they're like, why do you know, you'll eat a... Chocolate covered. Yeah, yeah, you'll eat a chicken and all that. You want to eat a grasshopper? I'm like, no, I'm not eating. I'm just not... It just seems weird to me. Right. Well, that's kind of how they feel about some of these parts, I guess, but... They, and a lot of times it's, they haven't tried it. You know, it's just, if you haven't been exposed to it and haven't tried it, I expose my kids to everything when they, from a young age on and they'll eat anything, anything I put in front of them, they'll at least try, you know, and they love to go and chase it. Yeah. Yeah. My son's at that age now that he's, he's ready to go anytime I am. Probably outshoot your ass already. Yeah. He's getting there. He, he <laughs> Alyssa loves duck. Like her, her favorite meat, if you go ask her, is I want Uncle Dave, who's Dave Stanley, or my or Daddy's duck. Um, she loves it on a cast iron Traeger, high heat, flash fried on a bed of rice with a little bit of Worcestershire base teriyaki sauce on it. That you know you could call it Hunter's gravy. There's a lot of different things that you could call oh, it. I've a, had a duck topping sauce. I want I want Uncle Dave's duck right now. That yeah, sounds great. I mean, it's yeah. amazing what he does with it, and it's easy. But again. When people hear, even people that hunt, right, the, they get this weird look on their face when you say, dude, we had the best duck of our lives last night. And again, French restaurants, Italian restaurants, different, or, you know, different places in the world, different regions in the world, they eat duck consistently. And, and I do too. But you, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people get like, oh, my God, I hate duck. I, I, how do you even go hunt those things? They're disgusting. And I'm like... No. What, yeah. what is the misconception with that? Is the main thing about that because they had a bad experience with the temperature? Oh, for sure. Anything? If, if they've had, I mean, we've cooked a lot of duck, right? And I've been over here quite a few times where duck is on the menu and it's cooked right. If you have a bad duck, it's bad. 
or maybe didn't keep it right in the field or is it's there's a lot of things that can go wrong with meats but cooked cooked right there's nothing better i mean it's they didn't have it cooked right i mean if they've had the duck we've had there's no way they would say that if they have had that then they i guess they just don't like duck but what's your favorite way to to eat a mallard duck yeah you know what the dave's way is pretty dang good um boning them out we've done that a few times where you bone them you know pluck duck which takes a little bit of work um you take out that carcass and you bone them out sew them back up fill them with a little rice and bake them that way where they blow up like footballs um if that skin gets nice and brown and that's pretty dang good too with with a nice sauce like a plum sauce or a, something like that um even just barbecued duck I mean, seasoned and barbecued, not, I mean, cook it right. The point is, is that you can't pick one. Yeah. There's, there, you can make like beer can duck yeah. on these, on these chicken oh, thrones that Traeger yeah. makes. Speckle belly geese on That's the thing. best. That Dry speckle rub with yeah. some fins and feathers. That speckle belly goose is unbelievable. It hands down the best waterfowl. Yep. A lot of people say For teal, sure. no. maybe a woody, maybe a canvas back, but a speckle belly. Some people even say... Um, cranes are the ribeye. I've the never sky. had that yet. I haven't had it. I was, uh, it's, it's not, it's good, but dude, to beat a speck, especially like a rice check speck in California, Louisiana, maybe Arkansas and the Grand Prairie. There's just, there's not a better, there might not be a better meat known to man than a oh, speck of it's good. when it's cooked right. Yep. Well, we've had, I mean, when you, I think you're the only the first time I had that was with you and man, it's, it's tough to beat. I pluck the breast out. You can, and I save all the legs. Okay, I don't save the back meat or the or a lot of the parts. I take the legs and I take the breast out. But I pluck the breast out, and I leave the skin and the fat on there to where I can use that as a rendering and cook that skin and fat down. Oh, you know, yeah. on on in some <laughs> cast iron and get that rendering going. And then you, the sky's the limit with what you can do with that or reducing it down to a cherry glaze sauce. Our buddy Mike Parker in California cooks speckle belly geese with this cherry reduction sauce. It'll blow your mind. Like you think you're eating a high-end cut of beef, you know, the the highest in a Kobe Wagyu beef that you can eat. I, I think that, that 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 whole ideology of, you know, is, I agree with you, is that it's mainly people that have not had it prepared right. And I think that people are scared of it because it's not traditional. And I think that if they, you know, like, you, you know, Andy Perwin and his fiance, of, uh -huh. I think 19 or 30 years now, Christy, Nevada foodies, I talk about her all the time, but she's not afraid of shit when it comes to wild game. No. She'll try anything. Yeah. And I love how she uses traditional means and recipes to accompany a wild game piece of meat, but she also comes up with her own stuff. And she's come over here and did pot stickers with wild goo Canada goose meat and put them into a food processor with different cuts of onions and, and garlic and peppers and things and made these pot stickers that you could feed an army with these things. Get rid of dozens and dozens of limits of Canada geese, depending on how many you have in your freezer and what's legal, which is a whole other topic of conversation. But she she's done everything over here from egg rolls to pot stickers to spaghetti sauces to the to elk tenderloin that would blow your mind. She now she's teamed up with Traeger and doing a lot of her stuff on a Traeger too. She uh, I went by her office the other day and she had a cooler for me. Her and Wade gave me crab. That didn't sound right, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me crab meat, but wild buffalo. Yeah. They just got back from that buffalo hunt, her and Andy. Yeah. Yep. And they killed some cow elk this year. They gave me some backstrap and tenderloin out of their cow elk, crab meat. And I, I'm telling you what, I cooked some, she gave me some buffalo ground beef. Um, not ground beef, but ground meat. And um, 
I did some things with it on Saturday night when I invited you over for dinner and you stood us up. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I cooked this buffalo. This I'm talking, it's not, it's cut with a tiny, I'm talking like 5% of pork fat, I think. And they processed the entire buffalo by themselves. It took them six days. Oh my God. They had coolers and coolers full of these pine quarters and tenderloins and back straps and stuff. And they, they wanted to do it the old school would do the old country would use every bit of that buffalo and they did and i'm telling you the way she's she is a genius when it comes to wild game and i think that i think it's because she has no fear and i people say well she's just cooking of course she's not scared a lot of people are scared to try different things and that's why they're always stuck on the same chicken recipe and same barbecued steak and dude you venture out and eat some duck and some buffalo or some freaking antelope i used to be scared of antelope and then we started know, understanding what it meant to take care of a piece of meat, oh, yeah. you know, 15, 20 years ago. And my, my Clint killed an antelope this year, scored 84 and a half points, a big antelope, an old goat. They called him the ghost. And he, he ate like a freaking one-year-old. It was like veal, which a lot of people look at you weird when you say, I want some veal. Yeah. You know, like I love veal meat. I love it. I, I think that that whole idea, you know, that whole idea that you can't think outside the box creates these unneeded or unwarranted fears in people. And I, and my point in all of this is that Traeger has come along in a time where it has become cool again. Hippies have been talking about living on, you know, they're the ones that come up with this organic, whole, yeah, organic and yep. living off the land and guard shit, dude. We've had gardens and living off the land for years as hunters and gatherers and conservationists and fishermen and fisher women. And, Traeger has come along in a time to where it's cool to live off the land again. It's cool to be organic again. It's cool to be that uh, that person that I call a quote unquote provider. I love the word provider because I I have not a there's not a better feeling to me than to say my friends are all sitting at this table that we're at right now with a belly full of wild duck or bison or mule deer, whitetail, elk. I don't care what it is. It could be a fish that we went and pursued legally and ethically and morally correct, harvested it, processed it, butchered it, processed it, and then had the guts to go and cook it and then see all these smiling faces drinking wine or a cold cocktail with this wild game feast that we're putting on. Is there any better way to be in life? No, it's the best. And you're right, Trigger. It's it's new technology, not really new. It's been around for a while, but it's, it's just starting to now gain popularity and they they're doing it right. They grew kind of organically and let their product speak for itself. And it's just, it's taken off. I mean, it's unbelievable. And they're not, a lot of people would think, well, Traeger's paying Jim Ray to say this. No, no, they're not. You don't get a dime from Traeger and you're, you and your wife, you guys are, I mean, she's cooking on, she's turning it on. She's oh, yeah. preparing stuff on it. And Julie, Quite a bit, actually. And you have even said that Julie's never really barbecued. Before. No, not at all. At all. The only first time she barbecued was on the Traeger. And people are like, you know, they ask, I have all these questions like, can you work your oven? Yeah, then you can work the Traeger. You just take care of it, keep it clean, and go flip the dial. It's it's that simple. Keeping it clean is muy importante. Though. Yeah. Like, it, you, it's, you know, Benny Kendrick down in California, who's a, a Traeger pro, he's a badass. Ken, at Kendrick oh, yeah, I, I see his stuff. Yeah. yeah, he came up to Tahoe and cooked with yeah. Chad Ward and myself this year. I shouldn't even say I can't even put myself in their in their c- company, but he's he, I like him because he does this. He it's easy to cut corners 
in life. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, I cooked for my family tonight. But as soon as he's done cooking, his Traegers are immaculate. And you you know, have that's to. harder to do than it sounds, though. You spend all day freaking hunting, fishing, staying up late the night before, strategizing, having a campfire, whatever it is. And then you cook on it. And now the last thing you want to do, but they're easy to clean. Oh, yeah. And the accessories that they sell with them are a cakewalk. And if you use, and if you keep it clean, it stays clean. You know, it's not like your gas barbecue where you just eventually got to throw it away because there's so much caked on stuff you can't even deal with it. If you do the maintenance and the work on a Traeger, any pellet grill for that matter, it, you just get a little shop vac, something to clean the grate with, tinfoil or liners, whichever one you want to go with, liners are a lot easier. Uh, it's, it's that easy. Once, once or twice a week, you vacuum that thing out, clean the grate, especially after a big cook. I mean, I, we come home after work and we cook on it. I don't clean. I'm probably not like your buddy. I don't clean it every time I use it. But, you know. You I, don't have to. Yeah. I, I change the liners and vacuum it out once or maybe once a week or maybe even every two weeks. About every bag of pellets, I would say. But we use it every night. I mean, it's. It's, Sometimes two or three times a day. Yeah, it's it's on a, on a weekend. You know, I'll do hamburgers for lunch for the kids, and then we do dinner. Do you like hamburgers off of a chair? It's, it's so they're so good. Why? Because a lot of people think that they turn out too smoky, and I'm like, no, no, no not one no. bit. They, nope. Not that they do, but they would, and I'm like. No, it's not the case. All hamburgers on a Traeger at medium I think rare. Food's supposed to be a little smoky. I mean, that's how we started. Barbecue. Yeah, I mean, that's on. why we do it. We cooked it over wood way back when, you know. Uh, no, not they're not too smoky at all, and they don't get dry. You say we moist. cooked it over wood way back when, but that's what is so special about a Traeger. Yeah, is that you might not be cooking it. You're cooking it over an auger that is chewing up that wood pellet. That Traeger, you know, Traeger is 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 making their own wood pellets. You know, they're yep. they, they're responsible for all of that from A to Z. The different flavors, the different. Uh, taste that you can get on these foods is it really is cooking over wood in a very easier a lot easier way than keep stoking a fire all the time right oh yeah and and and, and it's when you first start out you need to realize that those woods do taste different and uh i hickory's probably my go-to um followed by probably oak um if i'm doing chicken or beef or even pizzas. We haven't even got into that. Pizzas on there are unbelievable. Well, tell me about it. Are you, oh. are you homemade? Oh, yeah, right. I make my own dough and all that. And then, um, you know, my favorite pizzas are like wood-fired oven pizzas, you know. And uh, you get that flavor profile file with a Traeger. You get it up as hot as it goes. You put on that just right on there, the pan right on there, right on the grate. Um what do you mean the pan? Are you using a tin? Or are you I got using, a tin with holes in it. Have you seen the one that Traeger makes, the the the, the pizza kit that they have? I haven't seen that one yet. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you home with one. I got an extra one they sent me, and I've been using it, and it's it's perfect. But you get that wood fired pizza oven taste in there. It's amazing. But I like oak for that. But people don't realize these different chips they have, pellets they have. They taste different. You know, like I'll do like a lamb or lamb's probably my favorite thing I do for once a week type deal. And if you change the the wood in it, you're like, ooh, it does taste a little different, you know. And it's not like, man, maybe I'm not going to use that chip pellet again. I like the oak better on the lamb, or you know what I mean. Everybody's got their preferences, and so you know, I'll, I'll have it filled up with maybe maple or something like that because I was doing a pork deal, or and then I decided to do my lamb with that, and it's like, eh, you know, 
that's, that's the cool thing about it. You can experiment with all these different pellets and flavor profiles and and it's easy to, if you don't want to use it until it's gone you can empty it out yep. and fill it i with got a bucket one. a couple buckets i use yeah i just open Labels. the back side drain it refill it yeah that, label the buckets yep. and, and and they stay good for a long time and i just came back from a hunting trip and i was talking to a female friend of mine that that is a cook and you know she has kids so frozen pizzas the red barons the papa murphy's She's like, I don't care if it's my own. She also makes her own crust. She does her own dough, rolls her own doughs, makes her own sauces, uses, you know, local cheeses and stuff from that area of the country. And she's like, even my frozen pizzas that I get at the supermarket or Papa Murphy's, I'm putting on the Traeger. She says the taste is just so much better. Yeah. So these guys start giving her shit. These clients at the lodge start saying, no, come on, you can't put, you can't cook pizza on there. She does six pizzas on two Pro 34s, puts them out for the clients, these pheasant hunters and duck hunters over there. And they're, I'm not, bull, I'm not BSing you at all. They were like, you've got to be kidding me how good this is. The smokiness to it, the, the, the finish that it gave the crust, the cheeses yep. on the top, it was dead on perfect. It's just like an oven, but it's got, it's got that pizza oven, that wood fired oven taste. Yeah. And that's what's so good about pies and cobblers and things like that. I mean, it just gives it that hint of smoke. It's not overwhelming. It's amazing. Do you think it's fair to say that restaurant business and the restaurant industry might have a decline in sales as the popularity of because of the ease and success and taste and quality of a product like Traeger? Is it keeping you, you, you have a family that loves to go to places like family style dining at a Louis Bass Corner or Santa Fe or a JT's down in Gardnerville. Are you eating out less, cooking less traditionally, or is it still a, you know, uh, kind of a, a, a reward for the family to go out once in a while? It's a reward for me because I'm not cooking, right? Or yeah. doing dishes or, well, my wife's not doing dishes, I should say. Ouch. Well, that's just our deal. I cook and she cleans. It works out pretty good. But uh, no, actually, it's good to get out. And, you know, sometimes I'll order, maybe I'll go somewhere and order something that I know I can cook just to see how they're doing it. And let's face it, some people just aren't good cooks. You can give them all the tools in the world. They're just, they're not wired. Let me tell you they why they I use suck different, as a yeah. cook. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> those, there's just, those guys. It's just, it just happens. There's just people that don't put in the time to love they don't understand flavor profiles they maybe use the wrong kind of spices and it's just they're just not going to be good cooks ever um just like i'm not going to be good at math you know it's just the way it is yeah it uh, happens i'm not yeah. good at math either <laughs> i'm good at triggering though yes i'm good at i think i am and my buddy chris huber owns rosalie's and sisseton in south dakota he gets a Pro 34 and now has moved up to an 850 Timberline, plumbed in inside his commercial kitchen, health department approved, checks and balances all there. He's got it plumbed up through the roof for the smoke. Now he's got a Timberline, so he doesn't have the, the steep of the chimney on it. And he says that he's never gotten more compliments for his steak nights, his Traeger nights, his right. ribs, his briskets. And he is now, I'm like, well, you're a restaurant a restaurant here and you want people to come and experience you. So, yeah. but I still tell them what I'm cooking on. And now his local dealer there in that part of South Dakota is, is sold like seven or eight Traegers in the last yep. month based on Chris's rec recommendations to his restaurant customers. That's funny. You said that I have a buddy opening up his second barbecue place here in Reno, uh, brother's barbecue, Joe Arduna. He lives out here in sparks with us. And, uh, when Chad Ward was in town, I was telling him, hey, he wants Traegers to do steaks because, you know, they just it's a regular slow, you know, barbecue place. They just do ribs, brisket, pulled pork type of deal. 
He goes, oh, yeah, tell him, we'll, you know, we'll hook him up and all that. And so he's getting ready to open. He, he called me the other day. He goes, hey, can, can we get a deal? I'm like, oh, we'll, we'll figure something out. I'll get a hold of Chad. And he, he mentioned there's a deal for pro cookers or whatever yeah. like that. And uh, But he's excited to have a Traeger in his location to do steaks. Well, we, well I, I would go there a bunch and support him. Oh, yeah. Just for thinking outside the box and doing things a little bit different. And, you know, your buddy calling and, and with Chris Burke calling saying, hey, which one should I get? That's, there's a reason why endorsements work because if you are passionate about something and you're doing it, I don't care if you have 10 followers or a hundred thousand followers or a network with no followers, but you just have a network of, you know, friends and they see you passionate about something and they see you in love with something like, man, he's really taking a, a liking to this. What's there's gotta be something to it because Jim's usually not like this. He wasn't like this with his last barbecue. Right. He wasn't like this with his last gun. Why is Jim hunting that? Why is Jim hunting duck so much? Why he must really like it. Why did he change from trucker or whatever? You know? So I think that Traeger realized this. Um, you think about endorsements, they go back to the beginning of marketing and advertising. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the success of Air Jordan and what Michael Jordan did since he came out of, I think it was University of North Carolina in like 1982 when he went to the Bulls and, and Phil Knight signed him with the first pair of Air Jordans. And you think about, did kids buy them because Michael Jordan was saying it? Or did they see this true love and passion and this kid that came up with this burning desire to be the best that he was and he had a different flair to him. Right. And people saw the way he played the game. It didn't mean that when you put on the Jordans, you were going to be able to dunk or have your tongue hanging out and fly from the free I throw I thought line. I could run faster when I wore them though. Yeah, yeah. or dunk <laughs> or do whatever. But there's something to be said about why Phil Knight would pay millions of dollars to have this kid from North Carolina saying... These are my shoes. He never once got on there and said, they're the best shoes. He never got on there and said, if you don't wear these, you're never going to amount to anything in life. He just wore them and did what he did. And that's what endorsement is. You don't have to get on there and go Ricky Bobby. And if you don't chew big red, then F you, you get on there and you chew big red and you show this love and passion, this lifestyle that people are intrigued by. They want to dig their fingernails into it and climb on board and ride in that truck with you and watch that sunset with you and have that bottle of wine with you and smell that smoke off of that wood burning fit Traeger grill. That's what Traeger's doing. They oh, got yeah. guys like Jim Ray in Reno, Nevada, Chad Ward in Florida, Brett Cannon in Florida. Guy, I got guys all over California and Mex New Mexico, and now they're going into into Brazil and into Chile and hopefully it's, it's in Argentina. And, and I think the word you used right there was lifestyle. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's like when I'm not using my oven as much as I used to. I sold my barbecue. Fire, you know, somebody come pick this up. And give me fifty bucks. It's yours. Gone. I don't even have a barbecue anymore. Don't need it. Yeah. It's like, it's a lifestyle. You've changed the way you've done something, you know, been doing something for your whole life. I mean, my dad was a, still is, I can't, he's, he's unfixable, I guess. You know, he's the, the briquette guy that had chicken sushi every night, you know, burnt on the outside, raw in the middle. And it's just like, oh my God. There's a better way to live, yeah. but they, you know some of those old guys. It's kind of hard to change. Yeah, you're not going to teach <laughs> an old dog new tricks all the time. But I think that 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 that's the reason why you have these guys relying on you, or 
more importantly, trusting you. You've developed credibility as this guy and you're, you've never claimed to be a pro, but you've always had this knack for cooking, whether it was wild game or a traditional meal or a non-traditional piece of beef like the sweet breads or tongue that we talked about. And that's why I think that Traeger realizes that, recognizes it, and their marketing is genius because it's it's organic word of mouth marketing. Have you ever turned on the TV? I did it one time, maybe two years ago. There was a there was a Traeger commercial, an infomercial deal yeah, on. And there's, I still see those, but it's you have to go look for it. You have to go look for it. Yep. You don't see 30 second commercials running towards during the Super Bowl. Nope. You don't see a bunch of billboards or print ads. It's a lot of organic word of mouth barbecue aficionado backyard badasses that love being around friends and family and, and, and entertaining and serving. And they have this passion for it of saying, yeah, I did that. I did that on the Traeger. And then when you go on to something like Instagram or Facebook and see all of the dozens and hundreds of dozens of people that are doing it on a daily basis, multiple times a day, that's why Traegers are success. That's why the brand's successful. That's why people are buying them. And then what happens when they buy them? They stick with it. A new one comes out. They're like, well, I wonder what I could do with the Timberline model. Or I want a tailgater to take with me. How easy is it to strap down a tailgater in the back of your pickup or on a flatbed trailer and take it to Chucker Camp? Yep, exactly. And now they got the Ranger. Yep. And the Ranger, you can sear on it. You can do high high temperatures on it. And it's it's a little tiny box. Oh, yeah. It's like a suitcase. The uh, one thing, I I mean, it's it's funny to me that people are like, oh, a Traeger, that's easy. Anybody can do that on a Traeger. Exactly. Yeah. Duh. Uh, why am I trying to make my life? Why am I trying to go cut and stack a bunch of cordwood so I can feed my box barbecue when I could do it on a trigger? You're right. It is easy and it tastes great. It's like people, they, they think it has to be hard to be. Well, do you good. think somebody like Guy Fieri or, or, uh, um, Nola, who's the guy? Who's who's the guy that owns Lagazi? Emerald Lagazi. These guys come out with cookbooks for a reason. They don't make them calculus. Right. They don't make it to where you got to be like this brain surgeon and go in there and go. Oh wait, he's got he's giving me some hints, but I got to figure out the rest of this right. this equation to get to the solution. Right. E square, you know, MC squared or all whatever they are, the Pythagorean theorem and all this stuff that you learned in math. You don't. That doesn't apply to cooking. No. Cookbooks were made so somebody could go. You know what? I trust Emerald. He's got a cool personality. He's successful in the restaurant business. He's given me his recipe. I'm going to go follow it and I'm going to create something that he does. And then off of that becomes other inspiration of saying, hey, what if I did this with it? What if I do this? Yep. What if I take this out but, it, but add this into it? And that's what, that's what people don't understand is that we're not trying to trick you. We're trying to sit there and go, yeah, you can cook duck on so, this or you can cook steak on it or, or asparagus or Brussels sprouts. It's that easy. I did. When, when I talked to my friends about getting a, a Traeger, then the, the second thing is when you get it, download that app. Oh yeah. And it's, that's like, it's like Traeger for dummies. Anything you want to do on a Traeger is on that app, follow it. And it's not the rules. It's a, you know, it's guidelines. So once you kind of, figure out how to use them with that app, then you can add your own twist to things and do all kinds of stuff. But that app's incredible. I mean, I haven't seen the Weber app or the char broil app or anything like that. You know? no, I, and, and the other <laughs> thing is, is that part of that app and part of the, what we call the Traeger revolution or whatever is that you can, you know, your recipes can be 
showcased in a Traeger cookbook or on the Traeger website or on the Traeger app. They're not saying that you got to be some nine time grand winning Chad Ward, you know, Matt Pittman, meat church kind of guy that's won the Royal or the Jack Daniels or something. You, you can be regular Joe. Like I said, the aficionado of your of your neighborhood, the block party badass that that is serving this meat. You, that what? Yeah, or you their could, podcasts. I mean, I just looked at it was Chad and, and the Meat Church fella, and they did a uh, sweet potato deal. I'm going to do it tomorrow for the first time for the family. But I think it'll turn tomorrow out. or on Thanksgiving. Or Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, we're two days out. But can we get a deal on that? Can we get an yeah. invite to that deal? Yeah. Uh, I saw that too. You were talking about Matt Pittman on the meat church on that. Yeah. Uh, with the sweet, sweet potatoes that I looked at all. I'm like, told Julie, get all that stuff. That's what we're doing for, for sweet potatoes this year. Yeah. Pittman's a badass. It, it looks incredible. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really stoked. So my, my turkey's on the Traeger this year and, and my sweet potatoes are on the turkey this year for sure. Or on the Traeger. On the, what did I say? On the turkey. Yeah, on the trigger. They might end up on the turkey yeah. on the plate. Yeah, Hopefully your turkey doesn't look like Clark's and Christmas vacation. I'll tell you what. Have you done the turkey yet on the I don't trigger? know about the cat, but I'm sure enjoying oh, it, Clark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the drippings from your turkey on oh, the trigger oh, make the gravy that makes. Oh, my God. Forget We're doing trigger. We're doing uh Timberline turkey yeah. on Thursday. It's going to be. My mom's like, no, we're not. And I'm like, uh, yeah, we I'm are. I'm going home and start my brine tonight and get it going. Are you really? Yep. Vino? No. You're not going to be drinking vino while you're doing your brine? Oh, I thought you were going to be putting vino in my brine. No, you're going to put your vino in your mouth. Yeah, the vino goes in the briner. <laughs> the briner. <laughs> yeah. And Jim Ray's the briner. <laughs> so what is, what's next? I mean, is, is it, is it something to where during hunting season, you're, look forward to cooking as much as you possibly can with what you're harvesting and what you're, what you're out there doing with your buddies, mainly chucker again with you, but you're talking about going on a few duck hunts. Is it, is it just part of the lifestyle now to where you want to implement all of this into, this is what I do. This is who I am. I am a hunter. I am a gatherer. Or is it just something that's another phase in Jim Ray's life that might you in a year from now, you might be, hey, I'm going to all my son's little league games and I don't have time to hunt and fish and cook on a Traeger anymore. Or is this what the way of life for no, the next the 40 it, years? I mean, kids sports and all that, it, it does take away from the things you want to do. But I mean, that's obviously time well spent and you don't get it back as you know. Your yep. dad was very active with you in sports. Yep. Probably didn't get his hunt as much as he wanted to when you you and your brothers were playing baseball. Um, but no, it's my kids following right in my footsteps. He, you know, he's loves to eat wild game, loves to go chase it. We're talking about maybe going up and chasing some birds tomorrow if the weather holds. Looks like it will. Um, yeah, it's it's what we do. We in my house, we you know they they play sports we go hunt and camp when we can and we definitely our life in our family and our extended family it's all around the kitchen in our house anytime we all get together it's in the kitchen i mean i could have my kitchen should be double the size and my living room should be half the size yeah the socialization everybody's around the kitchen you know it's just where the where the fun happens where the stories get told where the wine gets drank it's it's that's my house as well as the outdoor kitchen on the back deck, as yep. well as the chucker camp or duck camp yep. kitchen. You bet. Where it, whether it's inside or outside by we the just, Traeger. We just had a, a little chucker trip up in Paradise Valley, Nevada, which is up north. And we were all laughing. 
the beautiful house we rented, old ranch house that you can rent up there. 90% of the time we were in that house, we were all sitting around the kitchen island that had all of our whiskeys and beers on there. And we were cooking and doing, uh, drinking and just hanging out in the kitchen. But that's how you are too. That's how, you know, remember we used to do, growing up, right after college, we'd all get together on Sunday nights and cook together and watch Sopranos. Sopranos Sundays. Yep. yep. I was Tony. <laughs> Tony Soprano. And when you, when you think about that socialization that happens around food. Again, Traeger's marketing is centered around that because it's bringing more and more people together again in the backyard with the hustle and bustle of life. I think that more people are having the confidence to grill because of the quality of food they're getting off the Traeger from the meats to the vegetables, to the desserts, to the starches. It's given them the confidence to invite more people over into their backyard, and it's becoming cool again to stay home and have those little gatherings and socialization and, and parties and barbecues again. And we're doing uh, it more and more. I, how many times have you heard? I hear it all the time. When are you going to invite me over for some Traeger food? I mean, I'm sure you hear it all the time too with your with your relationship with Traeger. It's just it's so funny. It's like you got to go get one, bud. What are you waiting for? Yeah, where's my invite? What yeah, is my name? Yeah, Skip. Yeah, but. Once they go get it, they're, oh man, I tried this, I tried that. I mean, it's no joke. And it's, I mean, we talk about it all the time. I talk about it. People think I'm a goofy because of how much I love to cook on it. But I'll tell you what, they think I'm goofy, then they go get one. Yeah. And then they're like, dude. That was awesome. But Thanks, it's almost like they're too shy or yeah. too, they're like, I, I'm, I'm too embarrassed to give Jimmy any props on it. Here's a, a, a business-minded question. You've been in your own businesses before. You've had wine shops. You've, you've ventured into entrepreneurial stuff before. If you were going to, let's say in this area of the country right now, if you had an investor and you had a business plan that this investor was interested in and it was in the restaurant, bar, inter, uh, you know, social place, social gathering place, what would you build? Like, what theme would that be? Do you have an, is, does this ever cross your mind? Like, as much as we love to, to serve people at our homes and in camp, as much as we love to cook and see the smiles on people's faces, you have guys, like we talked about, um, Emeril and, and, and uh, Gordon Ramsay and Guy Fieri that have their own shows on the Food Network and bigger mm -hmm. networks than that. And then they have their own line of endorsed restaurants or restaurants that they started and branded right. and, and, and started to do the, you know, um, getting them to where they get to a certain size. And then they, you know, then they start to build another brand and they take a little bit of a theme oh, yeah. from this one. And then they build that one. And then one of them might go into franchising and then you own one of Guy Fieri's restaurants or whatever. Have you, do you ever, does it ever cross your mind as much as you love seeing people happy with food? Would you, let's say that the answer was yes, you wanted to do it on a business level or right. commercial level. Do you have an idea in your head? Is it something that you would want to talk about that? Yeah, I would want to see this kind of a theme. There's a, I think about that kind of stuff. I've thought about that kind of stuff for years. There's all, I mean, all sorts of different things, but I, kind of that Southern barbecue not the fanciest place in town, but not the worst place in town either. But, you know, you can, the customers can see what's going on in the kitchen and that kind of down home atmosphere in a restaurant. It's kind of something that I think would be cool um, where you can smell that wood, that smoke, 
in the restaurant, you know, type of deal. Yeah, I think about that kind of stuff too, with just like, is it live music? Is it a badass bar? Is it wine? Is it craft cocktails? Is it, right. is it um, you know, bingo night or is it trivia night? Is it, is it, what theme would be the next hit? What's next is, you know, Fuddruckers, they cook a hamburger, then they have a condiment bar and people flock to this place. And right. then you got Olive Garden that has good food. I mean, it's Italian food that isn't, it's, it's authentic in a way, but it's more of a chain now. And again, people have this ideology. If it's a chain, if it became a chain or if it became a national thing well, like Tabasco, out, they've, it, it can't a, be the best, right? If, if it's not authentic anymore. Well, on the West Coast, I think you know, in and out started out here and that's a chain. Now there's, they're growing and great burger. They've kept to their, you know, simple little deal and it's easy menu successful and they haven't varied from it, you know? Um, and I think about that. Then I think too, like, um, fishing or hunting. I do a lot of fishing too, this time of year. And we're, we have one of the better lakes in the world, I think for cutthroat trout. And I used to have a boat and fish it a lot. And then I started taking people and enjoyed it. And then people started wanting to bring their buddies. And all of a sudden it felt like I was a guide and it wasn't really that fun anymore. Yeah. You know, that much fun. It could happen. Yeah. And that could happen you. in your restaurant career or anything else. I mean, it's like, I enjoy cooking because there's no pressure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can invite, when I had a wine shop, this was, there was times where people would come in, you know what you should do? You know what you should do? And I just felt like going, you know what you should do? <laughs> Quit your teaching job, mortgage your house, and open a wine shop. Yeah. You know, uh, people always want to throw their two cents in. So there's a double-edged sword with everything. But, I mean, I enjoy cooking for family and friends. And to me, that's my passion. Okay, then what about a food truck? What about yep. something that doesn't have the square footage, but well, you still Well, I can just drive to- away if a customer pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> peel out and leave them in the exhaust. <laughs> but you know, like this, this food truck revolution, they have TV shows that are yeah. generated towards it. And then you go to all the commercial developments around here with all the industrial buildings being built and the commercial warehouses being oh, built. That's a huge, these food trucks pull up at 11 and they're making thousands a day with the lines that are outside of it's them. It's a, it's a huge business right now. And it's a big wave of, you know, that's something that's relative. They've always had food they used to call them roach coaches, right? Yeah. Now it's actually a food truck. Now it's a food truck. Yeah. It used to be mainly burritos, and now you can yeah. get sushi, you can get pastas, you can get oh, anything, anything out of it now. Anything. But I and think, they're pretty cool. Some of these, I've been in a few of them. There. I think we should do yeah. one. A food truck? Yeah. Okay. So you know, they get my driver's license back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to drive. You just have to cook. But I, I don't know. I just think that there's there's something to be said about getting the getting the the ideas and the recipes and the different things that you do or that I do. It just goes through my mind all the time. I wonder if I can make something. I've been in the restaurant business before, but in a franchise situation, right? I want to get into something that was that you get to call the shots on the recipes that you, you know, get to make up the bar. I think we menu. hit on a couple things. I mean. There's not a lot of folks doing wild game. I mean, it'd be logistically hard to have enough wild game, but there's people that raise antelope and deer for the restaurant industry. So you're talking about domestic wild game. Yeah, you know, but you kind of have that theme where it is, you know, you kind of, it's an entry-level meat, I guess, at that point, (laughs) right? Entry-level meat, yeah. Uh, Where you you get folks exposed to maybe some venisons and, you know, wild trout or, you you know, that sort of deal. And you do a restaurant kind of based on that, you know, I don't know. I've, I've been to a place that does it in Denver, right? Just South of Denver. And it's, it's a cool environment. It's a cool 
setting and a you know just a cool vibe inside of it yeah, there's like mounds. a, hunting, it's like a hunting like a, lodge yeah. like a basque style wild game restaurant you know where people sit together and you maybe have wild game you also have those rare meats that we were talking about your sweet reds tongue things like that to where you know people get to go get exposed to those type of deals uh, that'd be kind of a neat place to go have you seen the stuff the the reports of like joe rogan Guy Fieri with the big fires in Malibu and the one that we just had up here in Paradise north of Chico. Um, a lot of people that we know affected by it. Have oh, you yeah. seen some of the things that like Guy Fieri went out and started cooking for him and Joe Rogan donated a bunch of his wild elk right. meat and, I had, saw that. and had chefs cooking for the guys. What that were a losing. stud. How awesome is that? Dude, I mean, what, but those are, I mean, they're hunters, dude. They're yeah. gatherers, they're cooks, they're servers. They want to serve people. It's their communities. I mean, they, these guys live in California, you know, most of the time, I would assume, you know, so it, it's, it, that's, wow, that's quite a deal over there. It's, I it's can't sad. believe. I mean, you know, Ravencroft, a good friend of ours, yeah. his parents evacuated. It was one of only three houses within like 10 square miles that didn't Unbelievable, get isn't it? It's sad. Yep. Yeah. So when you see guys like that doing stuff like that, that's amazing, you know. And they're, it's great that they're doing wild game and things like that. You know, it's like, hey, this is what was here before cattle ranching and all that. And it's hopefully going to be here for the rest of time if we manage it correctly. But And I think that Rogan and, you know, you find out about it through social media and through our media that they did it, right? The news is out there. Uh -huh. Somebody's out there with a camera. Or, in, or something that's not why these guys are into nope. it. they don't need another follower guy doesn't need another viewer on the on diners drives and dive diners drive-ins and dives great show triple d was triple d oh, they've been to reno gold and silver the baddest louis bass corner louis yeah. bass corner i mean it's i just was a, there when they filmed it that time great show yeah and he's awesome. awesome he just seems like a and i know guys you know rush redoni at sierra mm -hmm. design concrete he knows him he, he he's been with him in several camps and i know other guys that have been at turkey camps with him and um he's a unlv alumni in southern nevada went to college at UNLV um he just seems like one of those guys that I would love to be in the kitchen with just to bounce ideas off of to see really like do are you really that good of a bad I mean is he really that out of the box or his recipes that difficult are they on a different level and he'd probably make it look so easy to where it give you that confidence all to those say, guys I do. Can do that I'm, but they make food taste so freaking yep. good have you been to Wolfgang Pucks at, oh yeah at, I would just put one down in Vegas. He's got one in Reno now, you know. Oh, I didn't at know. At GSR. It's killer steak, killer food, killer asparagus, hors d'oeuvres, the, the shrimp cocktail, the sauce. Everything's awesome. And I just, these guys are so innovative when it comes to food. They're not reinventing the wheel. They're just being creative and out of the box. And again, I keep going back to what we do. And that's why I brought up that restaurant question is that a couple times a day, probably a couple hundred times a week, I'm thinking like, man, I'm going to go look for some real estate and I want to build a badass and I don't want to call it a restaurant. I want to call it a, gather, a gathering place. Yeah, a gathering I place. want people to come there to just chill and smell it and maybe a, maybe a place where you can come in and see a meat market and buy your sweet bread right. and buy your tongue and buy your briskets that we, that we raise, that we use local farmers, local farmers markets local vegetables um that you know that that farm to fork kind of mentality that we do daily in our homes we grow our own vegetables we kill our own meat um i just there, there's just something about my spirit right now that uh, and and maybe you maybe are you, are you nesting i i think it's more of like i think it's more of 
of wanting to give back this time of year to where I see what Guy's doing, I see what Rogan's doing. It's inspiring that we give back a lot in you as hunters and gatherers, and we take it for granted because we, we don't look at it as giving. I mean, all of the food we give away, all of the meals that we cook, all of the donations, the charity we make, it's second nature to us. And I want to, I, it's like on a grander scale, I want to do something that's more, um, consistent with it. There's got to be a consistent way than not just giving to a charity, but being able to give back in, in the way of food, in the way of drink through a restaurant that can do big events and be a gathering place that can go load up a food truck and go feed a homeless shelter once in a while during a snowstorm or during the cold winter months that, that we face here. Th- these guys don't have they don't need another dollar. They, they're well off. They've made a lot of money in their lives. They don't need any more notoriety. It's a peace of mind to them now that, hey, giving back when somebody's in need, I just think that that whole hunter-gatherer mentality, that's part of it, is to be a giver. You take from the animal, but you give back through conservation efforts and putting more ducks in the flyaways, putting more elk on the mountain, putting right. more turkeys in the wood. Hunters raise tons, millions of dollars. And why can't, that's why I'm going with that, is that that gathering place could be so cool to where we go to the government and we say, hey, I want to get a license to do a wild game feed twice a month for, for low, you know, low income families, homeless government agencies, bring them in and we feed them through our restaurant or through our gathering place of all the game that we're getting. You know how much wild game people, that, that people could kill if there was more of a need for it, as far as the daily bag limits, the possession limits, um, the amount of deer that you can kill in a state like Alabama. There's got to be a way that we can utilize all of that. Yeah, I meat. don't know. Well, you can kill yeah. 65 deer a year in Alabama. Oh my god! It's you hard can to kill. kill a doe a day for like 65 days. It's like one every five years in Nevada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is that what if you could go out and take a doe a year, and they could find it? You know, it's biologically proven that it's not going to affect the deer herd. Cougars are taking I don't even know how many deer a year in the state of Nevada and people are like oh we got to kill all the cougars and then on the other side of the argument they're like they're so majestic we don't need to kill them and I'm like well either they're going to keep the deer population in check or they're going to be riddled with disease can hunters do more why can't we go and take more game if we utilize it for the right reasons I want to be able to go out and catch more fish if I'm going to eat them. Right. But the whole mentality that's behind it is that, and I think it comes from the days of market hunting, and that's why it's illegal to catch too many fish because they think that we're going to put a dent in that in that population. But what if it's for a good reason? Can we do it if we can? We go out and kill more chucker if we're going to utilize them for the right reasons of feeding our family and feeding the homeless or giving back. Is it going to affect the population with the amount of chucker hunters in Nevada? Is it? I don't know. Yeah. Or does drought and and disease play more of a role in that? There's a lot of questions, and I don't even know if you kind of understand what I'm saying. I just think that why can you only kill, have 14 ducks in your freezer at a time if you're eating them every day? Well, I... Or maybe 21 ducks I would have to assume now. just they don't trust people. Well, everybody's an outlaw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have guys that go out and just kill it, put it in their freezer, then throw it away a year later because they never ate them who does there's guys that do that i'm sure there is i mean there's got to be that's probably why they're thinking that i don't know well i but you can't assume that me and you are not going to eat the the food that we kill no i i have hardly anything in my freezer this year i didn't get a deer tag you know i haven't been out as much it sucks horrible it sucks that's my whole point i don't know i don't know i'm not a biologist i don't really don't 
I don't have an opinion, I guess, on what you can harvest and what's sustainable or not. Um, there's two sides of the argument. Yeah. Everybody says, well, man, I wish it was the heyday again, the golden years of hunting. Then I had, I have guys tell me, this is the golden hair hunting. Right. It's better now than it ever was. Maybe we the have, waterfowl it is. Um, there are a lot of different species. Yeah. I think in, Look in, at our our state, population. in our state, our deer and deer population is not what it used to be, I would say. Really? Yeah. I, I, I just don't see them like I used to. But you're not out there like you used to be. You have a family well, well, yeah, now? I'm out quite a bit chucker hunting when I used to. I just don't run into deer as much. as I run into a lot more antelope, that's for sure. I think those are going pretty well in our state. You think mule deer populations down the state of Nevada? I would, I would uh, over the last. With it being more yeah. public property than any other state in the union. Well, that, wildfires, some bad winters, things like that, dry. dry. Why do our elk thrive then? I don't know. Are sheep know. thriving? In certain areas, they are. In certain areas, they're not what they used to be. Like where we go up in northern Washoe, there used to be a really big herd up there. And it's when's the last time you saw a sheep up there? I guess it's something that you'd have to really dissect. And you know what told a cougar's play on sheep or disease yeah. play on sheep? All I'm trying to simply say is that it'd be hard to prove that if I went out and killed a doe mule deer a year, even if you only gave 15 tags out, right. 15 people a year or whatever, a few more tags for does or whatever, it just seems like we should have the ability to go fill our freezers a little bit more freely, in my opinion. If it would be nice. It, that's if for you're sure. in it for the right reasons. Yeah, I would love to do that. I just don't, I just can't imagine that our mule deer population is suffering. I just can't imagine that when our elk population and antelope population and ducks and turkeys and all these animals are, are thriving in most areas. Um, I just can't imagine that an animal population could be suffering. And I'm not saying it's not. I see a lot of mule deer when I'm out, and I, right. but I don't get out as much as you do or as much as I used to. I just want to eat more wild game. Me too. I really yeah. do want more wild game. And I, it's just a, it's a really, it's a two-sided uh, edge of saying you got to stay within the laws, the boundaries of the law. But what if I really am eating that? What mm -hmm. if I really am, to, you know, preparing it and, and taking pride in that part of my life, why are you trying to prohibit me from doing well, let's that? Let's take it out a step further. If you're in a certain poverty level or income level and you can say, hey, that's what I used to feed my family, maybe they're given a, a different allotment for doe tags or something like that if you can prove that it's a financial hardship. To, but who would go kill them if that family can't afford food? They true. Can, sure if you can't afford, afford to go, go kill one. Yeah, it's kind of expensive. But you can have yeah, people yeah. that can do it like us. Right. Uh, that's what I'm saying is that I wonder if there I is, know. I wonder if the population's there. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a, hunting is, is more complex than just buying a tag, it getting is. a license, it's and not going cheap. out and shooting your deer. It, unfortunately, it's, but it's the expensive. science behind it's complex too. It's right. like, and the way that people look at hunting is very, di is very different. The it education process. State to state too. Yes. Oh, I mean, way different in state to state, depending on what animal you're going yep. after. I don't know. I guess that I'm kind of maybe being selfish in a way that I, I want the ability to have more wild game and eat off of it all year and feed my friends and family but i don't want to disrupt the ecosystem or disrupt the animal population or the success of that population by any means i'm not saying that we should be it should be free game i'm just saying i, I mean if you and i were to go shoot more every year it wouldn't affect the population if everybody in the state did that yeah it would affect the population i would have to believe but but 
you just said it yourself. Sometimes you go five or six freaking years without being able without to get a, tag, a, a yeah. mule deer tag. Exactly. When you kill an antelope, I think you have to wait five years just to apply. Right. It used to be 10 years for an elk, and now I think it's down to five after you successfully harvest one. Or so I don't know seven, all the laws, but I'm yeah. seven or whatever. But I mean, it's almost impossible to eat wild game. Oh, yeah. If in, you're, if you're, in if our you're, state, it's, it's a privilege and it's a rarity to get a tag. And I mean, it's, it's a big deal when you get a tag. It's, I think that's a, a conversation for another time. It's just, I was just simply saying that I would love the ability to share the, the perfection of wild game fair with right. more people. And yeah. I think that's why this gathering place idea or feed, you know, giving back, because I was really inspired by what Rogan did with his elk meat and what Guy Fieri did. And I know Guy Fieri's cooked wild game. I've seen him on hunting shows before. Um, I don't know. There's just a, there's a bigger picture than us sitting in, in chucker camp, killing our limited chucker. Not that that's not awesome. And not that we're not going to have a chucker feed at the Coney at the end, but that's my point. Think about that. You and your friends do a chucker feed every year. You can legally only have 12 of them in your freezer at a time. Well, a lot of those guys, to be fair, and uh, they belong to, they, they'll go out and shoot birds at these places where they okay, plan them for you. Okay, let's say that you don't do that. Oh, okay, yeah. Let's say that you're just a wild chucker chaser. Right. And you want to le- save all of your chucker up, even if it's 200 of them, you kill a limit every day. Legal limit. Right. Why, why can't you hold them all in your freezer until one night where you have a big party and feed everybody? I don't that's, know. That's I don't the know whole why argument. that law. That's the <laughs> argument. <laughs> right. I, I understand it because of the market right. hunting. And, but in your ideology or your, your analogy is, well, people just let it get freezer burnt and they throw it away at the end. Well, you're a dip, dipshit if you do that. Right. Get a vacuum sealer and freaking make sure that your meat's protected, right? Right. That didn't sound good either. <laughs> that, that didn't sound good. Let me rephrase that one. Get a vacuum sealer to make sure that your meat stays fresher longer. Right. That's what I'm saying is that if you have 200 chucker at the end of the year and you know you're going to have a chucker feed, you shouldn't be able to be getting in trouble for that if you legally kill your limit every day. Right. So you got to kill six, eat six, go kill another six, eat another six. That's not what if you want to have a big feed at the end of the year, bass style or Italian style. I've talked to Dave Stanley about it before. I think that if you are in the legal limit of your daily limit a year with your hunting license, whether it's ducks or geese or whatever, Nobody should be able to dictate when you eat them. I just don't understand why you can only have 21 ducks in your freezer at a time if you plan on a, your daughter's getting married next June and you're going to serve wild duck to everybody at the, at the reception dinner or at the rehearsal dinner. Yeah, I don't know. You think yeah. about that, though. Like, you, me and you want to serve big parties. This gathering place, we would need a lot of wild game. My argument has some validity to it. I don't know if I'm being very clear to you. I'm just simply <laughs> saying that you can only legally have 12 chucker in your freezer at a time. If the, if it's a right. twice your daily limit, 18 now, I think is it three times yep. in waterfowl in most yep. States. It's three times. It was 12. They changed it. It took a couple years, but same yeah. with duck. It's just so it's people that can many come chucker, to our dude. state. That's one dinner for two people. Pretty yeah. much the way you eat right. or the way you and, and Todd Matorian eat. Right there, there. There's just 21 chucker or, or 18 chucker is not that many chucker. When you're talking about a big gathering place kind of meal, right? Maybe I'm being selfish. Or maybe we're just good hunters that can actually go out and kill ducks or or or, or chucker on a on a regular basis. What if we get lucky a bunch, and we got to be uh, nervous every time we squeeze? Whoa, I'm over my possession limit because I haven't processed that meat that's in my freezer yet. Right. I could go turn it into sausage, and now it's considered processed. 
I don't want to turn it into sausage. I want to cook the freaking breast next in come February at my Coney Island wild game feed. Right. I want freaking Greg to cook it up and I want freaking, I want him to, the Galettis to make it perfect for me with some pesto and some noodles and some gravies. I don't want to just bring 21 freaking ducks or 18 chuckers to the party. Right. I want to bring hundreds. I never went over my limit. I never went over my daily limit. I stayed legal, but I'm eating them all. Why are you dictating when I eat them? That's the whole question, Jimmy. Think about that. I will think about that. I want you to think about that. <laughs> Guys, Chad Belding, This Life Ain't For Everybody. Thank you so much for joining us again. Jim Ray's a badass on the Traeger. Check him out. What's the Instagram so people can start checking you out and some of the recipes? Jimmy underscore Ray, R-H-E-A. R-H-E-A. Jimmy, J-I-M-M-Y underscore R-H-E-A <laughs> at Jimmy underscore Ray Instagram. This Life Ain't For Everybody. New episodes, season 10 of The Foul Life airing as we speak. We're in Louisiana, the Honey Break Lodge with my boy Drew Keith, Drake White, Leith Loft, and the winners of the Federal Ammunition, Federal Premium Black Cloud Sweepstakes Hunt this week airing on the Outdoor Channel. Next week, we're with Monty Baldwin down in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, Argentina Duck Hunting Adventures, two episodes to end us out on season 10. It's been a blast. New merchandise available at thefowlife.com and our newest endeavor, jargongamecalls.com. Go check out the Icebreaker, the Loudmouth, and the Small Talk, our new duck calls two single reads and a double read i'm telling you guys they are badass and ducky get some for this uh, this duck season good luck to everybody down in the south this coming week in tennessee opens good luck hunter mclemore um everybody in arkansas continue success to you guys good luck i know you opened last weekend and uh this coming weekend is the wings over the prairie festival good luck to everybody competing in the world duck calling championship we have more great guests coming up right here at this life ain't for everybody we're humbled by the success tom rashashin Please play us out. Jim Ray, again, thank you for being here. Do you have anything left to say after my little speech and soapbox there on that on that <laughs> no, possession limit BS? Thanks, thanks for having me, bud. Jim Ray, the Nevada son. He is this true Silver State son. Jimmy Ray. Check him out. Jimmy underscore Ray on Instagram. Tom, please play Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Guys, thank you very much. We're humbled by you being a fan of This Life Ain't For Everybody. When the money's all gone.